Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Church Planner Podcast isn't the podcast that planners deserve, but the podcast they need. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for our ever-increasing weekly podcast. And this is a very special podcast because it is the week of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Well, something else happened this week, right, Pete? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, maybe well, I know. But but before we get to that. Welcome, you are. This week's episode of the Church Planter Podcast is brought to you by... MoGive. Emojiappy.com Forward slash choich. Hey, uh, Peyton, let me ask you something. Have you been waiting to get your church started with online giving? All the time. Have you been using PayPal as a cheap and easy placeholder? Why, yes, I have Pete. Why? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> a better solution is here. MoGive, spelled woohoo, M-O-G-I-V, is an online and text-based giving platform built specifically for the needs of new and growing churches. Specifically? And specifically? And shrinking ones. I learned that from you when you did the commercial <laughs> about three episodes back. <laughs> Go to mogive.com forward slash church to learn more. Mogive. M O G I. You know the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> and it's M O G I V dot com, not M O G I V E dot com. That, that would be incorrect. Do you know where I drew my inspiration for that from, Pete? For what? Your song? 
No, not finishing the song. Did you see what I did there? Larry oh. H. Paca got me. You know the end of the story. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. Those of you that did not grow up watching The Love Boat or Bonanza or daytime television in America, The Little House on the Prairie, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But we had a killer commercial in SoCal. It was Larry Larry H. Parker. And uh, I don't know, does that thing show all over the states? Or is that a local deal? You know, I don't know, but I knew of it. And I knew of it when I went to Biola and I was in one class and it was the first day of class and we're going around the room, everyone's saying their name. And there was a kid in there named Larry Parker. And so, of course, it stops the class and everyone goes, are you related to Larry H. Parker? And he goes, yeah, he's my dad. But he wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't like he was just yanking everyone's chain. So I dig it. Everyone, well, what else are you going to say? Yeah. I mean, everyone in the class knew who. So it was at least, I would say, statewide because I knew about it and I didn't grow up in Southern California. Dude, it was it was on that commercial was like it was iconic around here. People still quote it. I actually and, uh, know a guy who used Larry H. Parker. This is a true story. So um, he's at the YMCA, which was directly across the street from Larry H. Parker's office. And this is back before Larry H. Parker was Larry H. Parker. And he was just by, getting by started. The way, by the way, should we tell them that this is a it's a law office? It's a commercial for the law offices of Larry H. Parker. Yeah. For people uh, they who got don't know. Military at the end, and he goes, Larry H. Parker got me 2.1 million. And then he got busted for saying that. Um, because you know, then the, there was like the brackets over his lifetime appeared and then like even smaller print appeared. And finally they had to take that off. So that's why he ended up going, Larry H. Parker got me, you know, the story, which was yeah. genius, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause he, um, the, the FTC actually has rules on testimonials. And so like the part that they started complaining about was, yeah, it wasn't over. It was over the lifetime that he gets the, so basically he got an annuity, um, of 2.1 or whatever it was. And then they didn't say, yeah, and he's also paralyzed from, you know, like the waist down. And, you know, so they didn't say all the bad stuff. Like, it just made it sound like he could get anybody $2.1 million. <laughs> and that's why they, they complained about it. And, you know, other lawyers complained because he's getting all the business. So my buddy, he's at the YMCA, and he trips and falls at the YMCA. And he's like talking to the manager and the manager is like, you know, well, that's just tough, you know, whatever. So he literally walks across the street to Larry H. Parker's office and goes, man, I was just at the YMCA and I slipped and fell and I hurt my back. And Larry H. Parker starts going, oh, well, you need this. You need that. And he goes, come with me right now. We're going to go over here to the doctor. And he literally walks him right out of his office over to, you know, some quack doctor and the doctor's like, oh, yeah, you've got a, you know, slip disc and this is wrong. And, you know, this is going to take lots of money to fix. And then Larry H. Parker literally takes that guy's file. This is all done in 15 minutes. Walks <laughs> back across the street to the YMCA, walks in and talks to the manager. I represent him. And he just did a slip and fall. And we just went and saw the doctor. And this is what the doctor said. <laughs> and and the guy goes, look, I'll give you $3,000. And Larry H. Parker goes, done. And so my buddy goes, I got a thousand. Larry H. Parker got a thousand, and the doctor got a thousand. And every time he no would, way. yeah, every time he would see Larry H. Parker, he'd be driving around in his van, not Larry H. Parker driving around in his van, and he'd go, "Hey, Larry H. Parker," and the, and Larry H. Parker would go, "YMCA guy." <laughs> he didn't even know his name. He's YMCA guy. 
So he could he could be we should get him on the podcast so we can go, Larry H. Parker got me one thousand dollars. <laughs> well, technically you got him three thousand. He's just... awesome. We need to do that for Mogiv, for stinking Mogiv, right? We need to have people on there going, Mogiv got me $2,642. A month. A month. <laughs> you know, in parentheses, over his lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I dig it. I dig it. Well, I, you know, we, hey, we're we, smack talking before it's time to smack talk. Yeah, we got to tell everyone what the today's topic is, and then we'll get back to our smack talk. What is today's okay. topic? Because we talked about we'll it before, and I don't even remember what you said. Yeah. Okay, so uh, today's topic is my top five worst church planning mistakes. Because you know we've made more than five, right? So these are my top five. You get to hear the top five ways I've cheesed it up in church planning. And of course, you can use that as a template for what not to do. Absolutely. And and as Pete said, the five top church planning mistakes I've made and how to avoid them. There you go. Well, let me tell you Just something, a hat brother. Rack. Now that it's that part of the show where we talk smack, what you going to do when the Church Planner Podcast runs wild on you? You know, I wonder if we can get a voice of Larry H. Parker. Oh. <laughs> That's think, awesome. I he he came out on the commercial and he goes, "My name's Larry H. Parker, and I'll fight for you." Remember that one? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. That and, to and the there. other one is uh, Cal Worthington and his dog Spot. Oh, Long Beach, baby, Long Beach. I I so I remember the first time we went to Cal Worthington. This is uh, 2004, right before we bought the Mustang. Actually, that I still drive. I've got a. Did we buy it in 2004? 2000? It was a 2005 model. So I guess we did it in 2005. And um, we we went to Cal Worthington because I really loved the new Mustang look. And I, I, I really wanted one. And, and we're going around to all the Fords that are around the place. And um, the Mustang, at that time, I don't, it's not that way anymore. But they were selling it for over list price because everyone wanted mm. one. It was such a cool design that they were selling out of them. Yeah, and I talked to um, a guy online, and I'm like, "Yeah, you know, I'm looking at your Ford." I mean, it was not like a, a crazy guy; it was like a regular dealership. So I'm talking to this guy, and he's like, "All right, I'll give you a 250 off list." And no one was like, like they had just gotten down to list, right? Because they had just been selling above list, so no one was going under list. And so I walked into Cal Worthington. I'm like, "Hey, look, um, you don't have the color I want, but you know, I take the black one." If you could do, you know, 300 uh, under list. And he goes, let me go check with my manager. And he goes and he checks and he comes by. He goes, yeah, my manager won't do it. Those are just selling too hot. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, well, no problem. And I left. But that was my oh, only experience wow. with uh, good old Cal Worthington. Well, Cal Worthington is, um, for those of you that don't know, this is like the stereotypical, like, greasy car salesman dude right like he's got the full-on like country western suit like he's been on the grand old opry he's got like the string bow tie right he's got the giant 10 gallon cowboy hat and every commercial would be like it's cal worthington and his dog spot and then there would be this little like giddy up song that would play but the dog and spot dog. was the key because it was never a dog it was never a dog. It, it was an iguana. It'd be uh, an elephant. It would it would be anything other than a dog. And you can go on YouTube. I've actually oh, seen yeah. these on YouTube. And there's bloopers that are really funny. Kind of like that blooper. Remember the blooper with the guy with the motorhome? 
No. Uh-uh. Oh, the Winnebago blooper. You never seen the Winnebago guy? I don't think so. Oh, and he has an absolute meltdown. <laughs> the camera's still rolling. But uh, yeah, you can you can uh, you can see Cal Worthington. But man, uh, one of my other professors at Biola, uh, Professor, I think it was Dunbar, one of my my uh, Spanish professors who who was kind enough to give me a D, even though I deserved an F, because he knew I couldn't go on to the next level of Spanish with a D. But uh, you know, why hurt my GPA? Um, he and like his father or his son, it was it was a generational thing. They saw one of Cal Worthington's commercials for this one car, and it was like $3,000 less than they'd seen it anywhere. And they drove all the way to Long Beach from wherever they lived, which was a really long way away at the time. And they get there, and they're like, well, we want the one that was on the commercial. And the guy's like, oh, you don't want that one. It doesn't have an engine in it. <laughs> like, that's Cal Worthington for you. <laughs> that's why this car is 3000 less, because it doesn't turn on. There's no engine inside. I mean. Dude, that's awesome. That's so typical. But if you grew up around here, like, you you just you just know that, dude, man. He was like, uh, you never seen such a big cowboy hat, man. And he's he pops up because... Thing, the thing that most of our listeners probably don't realize is if you grew up around the L.A. area, a lot of things that that make it into films and TV shows that almost become kind of like inside jokes. You know what I mean? If you don't uh, if you didn't grow up around here, you totally miss it. Like it goes over your head. But you'll see this stuff reference in pop culture because all of us around the you know L.A. area, we, we all knew this. We all saw it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He was always on TV. He'd go on the Johnny Carson show. Um, he he popped it like in the seventies. He was popping up on TV shows. I never saw him, but I'd love to see him on the Love Boat. <laughs> I think they're redoing a remake of the Love Boat. Did you hear about that? Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, they're redoing it. Like a, wow. a, a remake, and they've they've signed all the original cast back for at least a cameo, wow. kind of like Star Wars, I guess. No kidding. Yeah. Look at looking him up. Um, okay, in the film Memento, um, his commercials are there. Cal Worthington's the, really no kidding. Yeah, also in uh, Fried Green Tomatoes too. I, uh, I did not know there was a Fried Green Tomatoes too. <laughs> I was to say I never watched the first, <laughs> and I had no idea there was a second. Uh, Beetlejuice. It's funny. I didn't know. Yeah, it was on and out in Beverly Hills. And this is interesting. Uh, Made in America. Really? Uh, I think my dad's in that. Yeah. I think my dad has a small part in Made in America. Nice. Um, what else? Yeah. There we go. So that was it. Huh, cool. Well, um, I've kind of had an eventful week. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you had to go from something really important to something that was just kind of trivial, but go ahead, if you must. No, no. I, you know, I just didn't want to leave everyone hanging because, like, I got a comment from Hector Mora this morning on Facebook, you know, after I put all the, the baby pictures up on Facebook for my daughter being born. He goes, so uh, when can you go back to work? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, what is it about the guys that we attract that they all have that dry wit? They all, they all, well, first of all, Hector Mora is not real. We all know that uh, uh, Joey Roper, Hector Mora, and uh, Janos are all the same person. So, snuffle up, I guess. Kind of the way, kind of the way it works. But, um, absolutely, yeah. So, you know, last Thursday, everything went off uh, without a hitch. Um, even though I was like bored to tears in the recovery room, like, why do I need to be here? Kind of a thing. You can only play Angry Birds Star Wars version for so long, after all. 
you know, I usually don't play games on my cell phone. Um, mm. I usually do that on the iPad. On the cell phone, it's just too small of a screen. And when you're used to the iPad, it's like, eh, don't really want that. So I usually Facebook on uh, the cell phone. But we had, like, no signal in the recovery room. We had to wait till we got to the, uh, you know, her her room, whatever you call that room that she stays in for a few days. The but, baby room. Well, it's not really the baby room, but there was yeah, a no, baby I made that up. room. But, uh, I, you know, it's interesting because this is all kind of new. We had our son, but if you don't know the story, our son was born premature. So he spent the first 25 days of his life in the NICU. And uh, it was very different for us this time because this time there was uh, nothing wrong with the baby, thankfully. And so we were with her the whole time. And the baby doesn't actually leave your side. Which I, I don't know. I, I kind of was like, well, look, you got all these nurses here. Why can't you just take the baby for a few days? And, like, man, there goes a free babysitting that I depend on. I had it the first time. The I was like, dude, this is great. You know, leave the kid here. Come pick him up 25 <laughs> days later. Not only that, they put him in this little bed that's on wheels. It's like a little like pedestal with like glass walls. And you're like, goodbye. Glass walls and a glass hood. I mean, it's really like, uh, you know... Um, I don't know. It's it's like something out of Star Wars. It's like it's got little you know blood they, holes, and you can stick your hand in there. And yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember. I remember seeing Luke. You know it, what they don't like is when you take that little wheelie uh, table with the baby in it, like the little bed that wheels in and out of the nursery. They don't like that if you like put it on two wheels when you go around the corner. It makes screeching noises. I like to um, lay on top and pretend like I'm Superman and just have someone <laughs> push me. That's just me personally. With the baby in it? With the baby in it. So, But here's what I wanted to say about the baby. So it ends up the baby is a girl. However, she's Chinese. Yep. Full, I knew it. Literally, it is the baby I had in my dream. Full black hair, not like a little bit. She got a nope. full head of hair. And, and neither got, you nor your wife have black hair. Well, who knows what Jamie's really is? She's a woman, right? So it's dyed, <laughs> colored, whatever they call it. I don't even know what it really is, right? Um, and and uh, she has slanty eyes, which is Jamie has slanty eyes too, right? Like, in fact, yeah. When you see pictures of Jamie, you usually can't see her eyes because she's got slanty eyes. She's got basically yeah. Asian eyes, only she's not Asian. So. My dream was pretty darn correct, except for the whole boy thing, which could have just been me saying, hey, you know what? Uh, I'd be Life would be a lot easier for me if I had another boy. One might almost say, Pete, your dream was near prophetic. Near prophetic. But, it, you know, had it been, uh, I, I think you have to be 100% when it's prophetic. So I don't want to be That's like nigh invulnerability. It's not quite invulnerable, but like the tick. You got you know, nigh invulnerability. It's, it's yeah. Near prophet. Dude, last night this stinking kid could not get to sleep. Like she just had to cry. And so finally at 3 a.m. I give up, right? I'm like, Jamie's like trying to crawl out of bed, but Jamie just had major surgery. So she's very, very sore. <laughs> this is a true story, man. <laughs> last <laughs> night she's going to get out of bed because the baby's crying and I want to sleep. I don't want to get out of bed. So she's like trying to like slide off the bed and all of a sudden i hear this ow i'm like what's going on I'm like i flip out right i just jump up she's like i hit my head on the nightstand <laughs> oh man so then i go running around and i'm like 
Harry, just get back in bed. And I took the baby and and literally I from three to six, I'm holding the baby because if you put her down, she started to cry and it was miserable. So today I'm pretty much surviving on an IV drip of a monster energy drink. That's that's no, how I, I dig roll. it, man. I, I bet every time she woke up after that, you're just like through the wall. Go to bed, Smaug. Because <laughs> that's her name, right? Schmaug. Baby Schmaug. You got to say it like that, Schmaug. I want Schmaug. Schmaug. Yeah. So, you know, you know, we had, a, we had a baby. What can I say? We had another baby. Right on, man. So, so Schmaug is the name. That's Schmaug. the uh, contest result. The results are in. Schmaug Mitchell is her name. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I, I like how you do that kind of like little Norwegian pronunciation on this. Jar Jar was a contender. Kind of Dutch, actually. Jar Jar Schmau. was a contender for a long time, but uh, uh, we decided against it. Actually, another true story. When they called the room to like uh, get the name for the birth certificate and all that, Jamie was in the shower, so I answered the phone. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, um, so uh, do you have a name picked out? I go, yeah. They go, what? I go, Jar Jar. And you hear Jamie in the next room going, stop it. Tell him the truth. <laughs> My favorite part was the the little snapshot you took of, I guess there's a little mini nursing chart on the baby's bassinet <laughs> on the little wheel table thing we're talking about. And it says, you know, name. And then it says goals. And I think you had written in there something like graduate high school, Get placement in a good college. No, no, no. It was skip um, college. Skip college was number two. All right, that's all. Oh, that's right. Even better. It was. It was graduate high school. Skip college. Going to biz with dad. Woohoo! That was baby's goals. Because you know it's actually on the wall. It's the wall chart of goals. So it says mom's goals, and mom's goals is walk down the hall, right? Because we're talking about what are your goals for that day. But I figured, hey, you know what? If I got to put goals down for the baby, all right, I'm going to put the goals down. I think the baby should have. Did Leah make a cameo as a middle name by any chance? Final, wasn't even considered. What wasn't even considered oh. by uh, by the boss. Um, oh, obviously, man. for me, I was pushing for Leah the whole time. But she knew the potential power that the two of you together could destroy her. The emperor had foreseen this. I said if she'd had twins originally, and it was a boy and a girl, she would have had no choice. I would have insisted on Luke and Leah. Wow. But yeah, that, oh, absolutely. That didn't happen. That's why that's why God doesn't allow men to have babies without women. <laughs> okay. Because of the name? Yeah, he's kind of hardwired. Well, that's just the beginning, isn't it? I mean, think of all the things that dads would do with their kids if moms weren't around. Dude, all I can tell you is uh, this kid really needs to get on some sort of a, a rhythm here with her sleeping because um, I keep I keep telling little baby Mackenzie I keep going hey um there we're still within the safe surrender period we can drop you off at the firehouse <laughs> absolutely with a note stapled I mean sorry that was that wasn't going in a good place. <laughs> No, they, they actually give you 14 days to come back and reclaim your baby after you drop them off. They give you like a, a wristband. 14. And, yeah. So there's your free baby. That's what I keep telling Jamie. I'm like, come on. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, we've just lost like our one woman listener. She's gone now. And some of our sensitive males. <laughs> okay. I think with that, we need to get right into our actual topic. 
Great Scott, it's time for this week's topic. All right. So what was this week's topic again? <laughs> you mentioned it before. My five top worst uh, church planning mistakes. Oh, and yeah. number one of Pete's is getting involved with Peyton Jones. No, that wasn't my mistake. That was your mistake was getting involved with me. <laughs> right on. Well, cool. I'll kick them off. We'll, 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 we'll do, you know, kind of, uh, you know, hand to hand. I'll do one. Then you do one. And uh, we'll have we'll have dueling mistakes here. Um, guys, you know, you're going to make mistakes uh, in church planning. And it's it's just. If you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. That's what I that's what I always say. No, if you're not making mistakes, you're not taking risks and you're not um you it's just natural to make mistakes. You're not doing stuff that you haven't done before. Um if if you just do the same stuff you've always done, then you, you know, you're like I got this. I've done this before. But one of the beauties of church planning is God seems to always be kind of taking you to places where you haven't gone and you don't got this and you need the Holy Spirit. And because of that, um, you're going to make mistakes. And what I love about being in ministry with the Lord is he allows us to make them. And, you know, the, the most important quality that any uh, servant of God needs is teachability. So you, you can make mistakes. Like there's hope for a church planner who's making tons of mistakes. Um, but the question is, do you learn from them? And that, that's, you know, that, that's what I look at in a guy. If I'm training a guy and he doesn't learn from his mistakes, that shows me he's not teachable. But if he's failing, I always tell my guys when I disciple them, look guys, um, you're going to be here. We're going to train you, make your mistakes here, make them now. And you can't screw up too big. Um, the the all time worst mistake that I saw a planner make was when he threw a gold party <laughs> to raise money for his support, and we had a little chat about that. And I, why, why I, don't I was, you say why do you think that's a mistake? Because I think it's important okay. to understand the the psychology behind the actual Absolutely. mistake. That that actually was kind of like a a warning. He actually got a warning, kind of like, hey, that that's actually serious enough. A serious enough kind of mistake to where it actually requires a warning, you know. So I kind of had to renege on, hey, make all your mistakes, and I had to explain why that was such a big deal. Um, and it was because it involved uh, selling to people at church, and that just, you know, pr- particularly. I mean, I don't know, Pete. I don't know where where you're at with the whole selling gold thing. And I know that it's it's a business. It it does well, but. Um, these people are not getting value for their gold. So um, that that was a big thing. And he did it totally in the goodness of his heart. Um, but, you know, to me, it was kind of like looking looking on from afar. I'm like, okay, my people are getting ripped off to raise money for mission. Um, that's not cool. Yeah. So, like, for those of you who don't know what a, a gold party is, it's basically the Tupperware party or um, – I mean, it, it's not as much like Amway as as uh, as Amway is, but it's that same mentality, right? You bring all your gold, and you've got a representative who comes there, and okay, you know they weigh it out. This is what they're going to give you, and all of the cash for gold places. That's how they make their money, right? They're going to give you typically, um, you know, between anywhere from fifty to sixty percent of the value of the gold, 
And then they're going to make the rest because they got to sell it off to the melters who are going to give them. Uh, usually they give them 99%. And then the melters also get to keep all of the uh, other metals that are in with the gold because it's not pure gold, right? They they have other metals right. in there, silver, <clears throat> excuse me, silver, nickel, um, other, and they get to keep all that. So that's how the melters make their money. And I mean, someone needs to, people need to be paid accordingly, right? So th- they need to make money for their time. And basically they put on these parties and if they're going to make 40% of the value of the gold, you know, they might give the person who hosts the party 5% or 10%. I don't know what the number is, but they're essentially going to give them a commission for it. And, um, I mean, that's, that's how all of that stuff works. And, um, the mistake that you're saying is, is really selling to people and it's so devalued from what the gold is actually worth. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you know, people, people are so funny with this stuff because they come like it's antiques roadshow, you know, they bring their gold and they're like, woohoo, you know, how much is this going to, and they're all excited. (laughs) You know, you get more for like making a shady deal at the swap meet, you know, then, then probably you're going to get there. But <clears throat> but anyway, so yeah, that was a bit, but that was someone else's bad mistake. And, and, and we laugh about it. And I even told him back when I gave him the warning, said, there's going to come a day where we're going to laugh about this. And cause he was super bummed, you know, I'm not going to say who it was, but he was super bummed. Like he realized he had screwed up big and, and he was kicking himself. That he didn't understand why he had screwed up big. Like he didn't catch it. Like why, why it was going to be a big deal. But in, in the end, he did learn from it, you know, and so that was, that was a, you know, it was a win. But, uh, but my uh, top five mistakes. And not I, would in just, any- I would like to point out, that's why you and I have actually talked about on the podcast to be extremely careful as a BIVO church planner in what you do for income. If you do sales, which I love sales, and we've talked about that, but selling to your church, I mean, you're crossing paths here. And mm. it's something you really, really got to be careful about. Like, mm-hmm. extremely Absolutely. careful. Like, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, a church planner has come to me and they need um, help with their uh, financial planning. And so, you know, I met with with him and, and I basically just said, look, you know, here's the deal. This is what I think you ought to do. But I'm just going to be straight out here with you. Um, I don't care if you use me. I don't care if you don't use me. I'll give you all the information. If you'd rather go somewhere else, I would rather you you do that because I don't want this to come in between what we do as church planners and, and working together. And there's there's the potential for that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's how I handle it. I handle it as I'll, I'll walk away from this this deal. And it, it might actually end up being that way because we haven't actually done anything. But I just I don't I don't want that to come in the way. And it can't. And that's why the multi-levels are so dangerous in churches. Uh, Pastors need money, and they start doing the jewelry multi-levels and the Amways and the insurance ones. And now are you going to church or are you going to the multi-level meeting? And you got to be so careful about that. Absolutely. And you know how how the devil is, right? Like he'll use anything and everything. So let's say like you sell to someone in your church. Um, let, let's just use a gold party as an example, right? They, they go, they, they sell their gold, they come home, they're all excited. They tell someone, Hey, I made this much off of, uh, the gold party. You know, I said, you sold mom's necklace. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, do you know how much that was worth? And then now they're looking at you like they come back to you and say, Hey, you ripped me off, you know, that, that this necklace. And, and now there's a, an issue 
that would not have been created in, in a division and maybe some resentment. Um, there's a conflict that's come over something that's completely non-church related. And particularly in the area of sales and business, um, these things have a lot more potential to blow up. Um, you know, think of all the things you buy that you're unhappy with or, or times where you just don't want to put yourself in that kind of relationship with people you're trying to spiritually minister to. Yeah. Big time. Just fraught with danger. It is. It really is. It's such a, it's something that you really have to be careful of, like very, very careful of that. Well, since we took so much time on that, I'm, I'm going to kind of cheap out and use that as number one for me. Because that was a great example. So I'll use someone else's as one of mine. I've got plenty more. <laughs> I like it. Uh, right. Buy a Valchuk, please. Yeah. So um, I don't, you know, I honestly can't, because I, I told you before on the last week's one, I don't really see myself in ministry. I'm just a dude who goes to a church plant. And it's not even a church plant anymore. It's just a really small church that's been around for three years. And I yeah. happen to be there at the beginning of it. Yeah. Absolutely. So maybe yeah, the mistake you, uh, was I went to the church plant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your uh, your mistake that you made was telling us you didn't like people hugging you or the meet and greet. Dude, no kidding. Boy, did I make that mistake. But oh well. <laughs> it, you and I are so similarly wired. Where when the other guy tells you know says hey what I don't like. <laughs> I know we had this conversation that. this morning because I was talking with a mutual friend. They shall not be mentioned that to shall, keep that friendship. Who literally, he went out under, of his way. Of, Do not mention this on the podcast. Yes, he says, and he goes, if you mention this, I'm not kidding. It will end our friendship. And he was totally serious. And I go, dude, don't you get it? Like, I had no intention of saying anything. But now that you told me not to do it, I so just am like dying inside to just spill this on the podcast. There, there are people that are just kind of like, you know, they see the wet paint sign and it's like, don't touch that paint. And they're like, so they touch it to see if it's still wet. Right. Do you know how many sidewalks have the name Pete written in the wet cement? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's like, I'm attracted. Oh, wet cement. Great. I got to put my name in and throw a couple pennies in there. <clears throat> I heard a preacher once saying, uh, God said to Adam and Eve, you know, they were just enjoying themselves, having a good time, you know? And God goes, hey, guys, have fun. Just whatever you do, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they're like, where's that? What, what tree? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just human nature, isn't it? So, yeah, um, mistakes for you. Uh, you're, you're, not, you're not quite in the same uh, uh, vein, I suppose. No, but, because, see, um, it, it's, I don't have the huge impact. Like, if I make a mistake, it's like, I don't know. I didn't show up or something like that's, yeah. that's the extent of my mistake. So I think we should focus on yours and then I can poke fun at all your mistakes. I, I I, hey, that works for me, man. I, I can totally see kind of like uh, you, but you can have, when we get to the one that's like my five worst church planning moments, you'll have a couple of those. And the, uh, you know, kind of like when the guy coughs, you know, coughs on you while he's, you're shaking his hand. And oh, says, hey, no. for me, I have hepatitis. Th those are those are bad days. Did he say that? <laughs> I have hepatitis. Um, I've I've had that situation happen. Not at Long Beach, but I've had that. Where you've like and, uh, you're shaking. Well, as a nurse. Oh my gosh, dude. Dude, I remember once as a nurse, and I had to go get tested. Um, I dropped a needle 
after after injecting a patient and it stuck in my leg. Oh my gosh. Yeah, dude. It fell and it stuck in my leg on the way down. And uh did you just like take out your buck knife and like just rip out a <laughs> hunk of skin? <laughs> just like dude, I did the full on like, you know, John Wayne rattlesnake treatment, you know, right there, <laughs> grab some whiskey and suck the poison out, you know. Um no, I mean I've had bad days. Oh man, I could if if this were a show that were just like my five worst moments, that would be one. Um, another was on my honeymoon. <laughs> that, that, didn't, that didn't sound good. <laughs> this could be such a bad podcast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The other, I'm talking the other about my baby, my- and I can drop her off on safe surrender. Then you go to, wow, oh, my honeymoon. This is what was really bad. <laughs> one of the top five worst moments of my life. Was when we were swimming in the water, we went to Barbados and I was coming back towards the shore. Cause you know, I have, you know, like when you're in the pool by yourself and you, you fear the invisible shark. Right? Oh, like in a pool? Like, no, not in a pool, but in the ocean. Yeah. 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 Well, when you go in the ocean, certain parts of the ocean, you get the same feeling. Like if you dive or you, you know, you're, you're fishing for lobster or whatever, you get the same feeling. I know cause I've done it. And you get this creepy when you go in the ocean sometimes, particularly if you know there's a lot of sea life there, it's just you get the EBGBs. And so, because there's a lot of dangerous stuff down there's more eels off the coast of California and they're nasty. So, anyways, I got the, the shark in the pool feeling come over me and I told Andrew, I gotta go. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna go, something's gonna bite me. You know, I was like kind of like a psychic Forrest Gump instead of like, ah, oh, something bit me. It was like something's gonna bite me. I need to go. And my wife's laughing at me and I, you know, and like today she's, she's, uh, taking out more life insurance on me because, you know, she actually told the insurance agent today, she goes, well, look at him. (laughs) You know, I got all these scars all over my face, you know, and, uh, and, and my body. So anyways, uh, I was coming in and I see black and I'm like, oh, cool. You know, rocks. I, I can touch the bottom now. It was a giant, it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It was a giant bed of giant black sea urchins. You know the ones with the spines that are over a foot long? No, um, but I can imagine. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. I pulled my, uh, and I said, I said something like something bit me and screamed and like a little girl and then pulled my foot out of the water. And there were like 30, no exaggeration. Andrea will bear witness on this. There was something like 30 spikes sticking out of my foot. That was a bad day. Yeah. First, yeah. first day I ever had a beer because I, they, there is. And didn't uh, God punish you for that one? I tell you what, man, I, I, I remember we got to the place and I opened up, we had this little villa on the beach and I opened up this like little refrigerator that's in our, I mean, it was beautiful, man. Deck on the beach, whole thing. You open the, the, the doors and you're right on the ocean. And, uh, and there's a refrigerator had beer in it. And I said, to Andrew, we won't be drinking that. And, uh, oh, stupid phone, stupid you, friends. You, you gotta learn. So, there's a do not disturb button on your phone. I need, I need to master this new technology called the iPhone. So anyways, what happened was uh, we got back to the, uh, Hit the decline oh, button on oh, your computer. It's freaking loud. No, it man. doesn't show up. It doesn't show up on this new software. You can either answer it or whatever. You don't cut the reject button anymore. Hmm. So anyways, uh, dude, seriously, 
I go back and like they all break. They're brittle. They're made of uh, calcium and connective tissue. So you can't tweeze them out. They literally break down and they snap off if like so much as like you touch them and then they fragment, they splinter. And so they break down. Your body has to break them down for months. But dude, I was in so much pain because they're venomous that, uh, and you know, I've had like glass go through my nose. My nose was hanging by a piece of cartilage off my face. Uh, when I was in my twenties and, uh, if you ever see that nasty scar, if you ever see pictures of me face made for podcasts, baby, but, uh, the, uh, that was the worst pain I ever felt. Not, not the glass going through the face. It was this thing. And, um, and, and I told, I just told Andrew, get the beer. She gets the beer. I slammed three as fast as I could like even think. And that was, that was, yeah, that was, that was it. (laughs) That was a bad day. But, uh, okay, so uh, number two, church planning mistake. And I think this one is the biggest church planning mistake that people uh, ever make when they plan a church. And that is not telling the local churches of their intention. Mm -hmm. Now, notice that I said not telling the local churches um, of their intention. Informing them. Not asking. Not asking to come in. And the reason I say that is because, you know, you're not answering to these guys. If you've been sent by ascending church to go in and there is truly a need in that community for you to go in, then you go. But what often happens is a guy kind of sets up shop and and the guys in the area, they've been, been working hard or maybe not working hard, but they're there. Um, They kind of go, well, you know, who is this? And they're kind of insulted. It is it is a little bit insulting that they don't even let you know that they're coming. Like, hey, you know, because it it is in a way ignoring any work that's that's gone on previously um, is is a slap in the face to that work. And so, and I think often church planners do it out of ignorance. I don't think it's done out of malice. Uh, I I don't think it's necessarily even a carelessness. I think it's just literally. They don't know to do that. No one's told them to do that. And so my, you know, I, I remember when pillar happened um, and, and, and I noticed I didn't say I planted pillar. Notice I said when pillar happened because it literally pillar just happened. It happened in a Starbucks and it, it, it just kind of took off and I wasn't ready for, um, I definitely wasn't ready to plant a church. The guy I was, I was with was, and it was going to be his church plant. And so I was just kind of like, hey, this thing's just happening. And uh, I'm not even really going to be a part of this. I'll, 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 I guess I'll help you out. But um, we never did tell uh, the neighboring community. Or even if you move building, let's say you got a church plant and you're going to move you know, a couple miles down the road. Tell the churches in the area that. That's really important. I think it's, uh, I think it's really important. And I think it's... It is one of those things that it's going to be a dicey conversation because yeah. uh, you don't necessarily know where the other church is at, like yeah. not physically, but mentally, you know, where's that pastor at? Is he cool with this? Is he, oh, well, you know, we're the only Baptists here. Or we're the only Presbyterians or, you know, this is our, our little Calvary Chapel area, you know, whatever the denomination is. I mean, that could be the thought going through their head. 
are you saying, and I think you are, um, you should call all the local churches, no matter what denomination it is, meaning like if you are a Baptist, you're not just calling the other Southern Baptist guys or the Baptist General Conference or, you know, whatever, you know, brand you're with. You're saying call them all and let them all know, hey, by the way, guys, we're going to be setting up shop. Yeah, man, you call the Episcopalians, you, you call everybody. If there's a church there, you contact them and you just stay, you know, you're going to meet some allies. You're going to meet some friends. You're going to meet some some self-proclaimed uh, enemies. I mean, there will be people who are just like, how dare you? You know, they don't believe in church planning. Um, never mind the fact that, shoot, in California, everyone's a church plant that, you know, is roughly 50 to 60 years old because these communities uh, you know, haven't been around that long. And if they have, I mean, m- most of the communities around here, you know, like, uh, I think in w- where I live, the oldest church is an Anglican church. And then there's in, in the heart of the town, there's only like four or five churches, you know? And, uh, it, it's weird, man. And, and the rest of them sprang up in the fifties. Mm. In fact, the, the church that I'm going to sprung up in 1950. 57 i want to say the building they, they they planted it there and they put an ad in the paper that said hey all you okies and people from the midwest that miss your baptist church we're planting one boom so that building I find came it's out, so, so funny that uh because you and i have seen it a lot because of what we do with church planner magazine and the church planner podcast we've seen a lot of people who get so bent out of shape at church planners yeah and it's like, yeah, do you not realize that someone planted your church, the one you're going to? That's my point. You know, established churches are church plants. And and what happens now is many of the guys who are in these churches did not plant them. And so they don't have the heart or the mindset of a church planner. And, you know, but but here's the deal. Even so, you'll find guys that are like, there'll be a couple different reactions when you do it. And basically that you'll have guys that, that see it as kind of like, you're going to take my people. And so they're insecure and maybe they're hemorrhaging people. And I always tell them, I go, look, if they come to a church, trust me, they're not coming to this one, right? Um, they're going to go to one that's better than yours. This church isn't going to be better than yours. You're going to have so much more in place than what we have. But, you know, I, I always tell them, I promise you, I will not take your people. Um, if people from your church come over and they've got a story, I will call you. And I always make good on that. Always, always, always. I ask people where they came from. And normally I tell them, hey, thanks for visiting. We've all, t- you know, we've talked about the no Christian rule. But if there's more of a story where they're like, oh, you know what? I boom, boom, boom. I'm, I'm looking for another church. I can't go there. I always tell them, well, you know, look, I, I need to call your pastor and have a chat with them. And, you know, do you mind me doing that? And if they say, no, no, go for it. Cool. I call them. And uh, normally uh, the pastor, it takes the high road and he says nice things about him. And then he gets off the phone and goes, <laughs> sucker. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, yeah, misery loves company. But, um, but no, you know, the reality is that, uh, these guys, um, I, I normally tell them, look, I don't want your people. I'm going after lost. I'm going, look, it's kind of like, I I used to have a movie on YouTube. It's probably still on there, but I, you know, you take the jar and you put the marbles in. Those are the established churches, right? But then you take the sand in 
And the kind of churches I plant are like sand in between the marbles. We want to catch the people that fall through the cracks. We don't want to put another marble. There's enough marbles in the jar. But what we want to do is put sand in between the marbles. And when I kind of tell guys that, because I say, look, there's this church, that church, and this church. And there are people in this community that are never going to go to your churches, not because your church is wrong or your church is bad. It's just not the church to reach them, but there are plenty more people to be reached. And my church won't reach everyone either, and nor will it reach the people who will come to this church. So when I used to um, live in the UK, we had the Anglicans. What was awesome about the Anglicans is it was also their greatest drawback. They were linked to the state. So there was a state church, Church of England, or if you live in Wales, um, Church of Wales. And that was the in what we call Episcopal over here. Um, and those guys could go anywhere. They would, they would, they had access to the government. They had access to um, government functions, public functions, schools. Um, we could get that too. But there was just, there was a prestige. These guys could, they could infiltrate. And so when you found a guy who, it wasn't his career, but he was really called to ministry, um, and he, you know, was a, was an evangelical, believed the word of God, preached it. But when you found a guy who is Anglican and really loved the Lord and was a gospel guy on mission, they were unstoppable. They were cool, man. So I, I, you know, there was, uh, they could reach people, you know, the respectable people would go to their church. They wouldn't go to my church, you know? Yep. So they could, they could reach they could reach the, you know, the, the, the little old lady who, uh, well, we got little old ladies too, but they usually cuss like sailors <laughs> when they came to us. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, what's number three for you? What's that? What's number three? Number three would be very closely related to number two. Um, number three is uh in potty talk diarrhea i don't know why i said that oh oh, okay i still don't (laughs) i still don't know what number three is i told you number three is connected to um the second one which you know i was just talking about not taking other people's people well one of the biggest temptations um and this was the biggest mistake i made in my first church plant um, it, you, you are so wanting numbers and anyone who's listened to the podcast knows that I don't put a lot of stock in numbers. Numbers are not important to me, but after all, we do call it the gathering, the ecclesia. And when people don't gather, it bothers us. And we talked about this last week, so I don't want to go back into it, but there, I, I can remember in pillar when we got going, it was, it was our second year. In fact, it was nine months in. I remember now, nine months after the launch. It was the summertime. Uh, we had launched in September, and by about May, June, we started getting people in, and the numbers really started growing. And in Wales, I'm just telling you, to have 50 people, we were bigger than most churches in Wales at 50 people. Huh. And what had happened is we we had grown to about 30 and then suddenly all these Christians came in. They had heard about it. Hey, did you hear about the new church? 
And they started kind of trickling in. Now, I had had, from the outreaches we were doing in Starbucks, already formed the No Christian Allowed Rule. And that came because uh, there was less freedom, ironically, when the Christians were there. Um, that came from other churches to this outreach in Starbucks. They would start jumping on the non-believers during discussion group and going, you're wrong, the Bible says. And they were a bit like McLaughlin on the McLaughlin group. And I remember just kind of going, I don't want Christians at this anymore. And so I started telling Christians they couldn't come to Starbucks. And that started the no Christian rule. And when we launch a church, I started, I, I carried it over and I told him, Hey, I don't mean this with any great disrespect, but you'll mess it up because you're too religious. And these people, they're just so happy to be hearing about Jesus. Some of them are just brand new, born again, on fire. They don't even know how to worship God except to sing spirit in the sky by docking the medics in their shower. And, you know, you're going to screw this up for them. And um, so what happened was in Pillar, all of a sudden these people started coming in and it was about 20 people and they came in and they were, it was great. Like the numbers almost doubled, you know, we went from like 30 to 50 and I remember walking in feeling kind of like, Hey, this is cool. You know, we're growing. And for under a year, to, to be at 50, it was pretty cool. And then by summer's end, man, by the end of August, they were all gone. Hmm. And what I used to say with the no Christian rule was, hey, these people, they don't know what to be mad at. But Christians will come in and teach them, like, I don't like these songs. Or that person didn't say hi to me. Or, you know, and I, I can remember, you know, kind of that was my philosophy. They they brought it all with them, man. It all came. And so my big mistake was allowing these people to come because, you know, to, to, to put it in very crude terms, I was a bit of a whore for numbers at that point. You know, I, I wanted to feel validated. I wanted to feel like I'm part of something that's growing. And it was growing, but it was growing with non-believers. And, you know, but it was growing slower because what happened was we had a bunch of people saved at the beginning. And this would happen. We would have peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. There would suddenly be an influx of people getting saved. And then there would be months and months of nothing. And I remember struggling with that, not realizing mm. that it was God giving a harvest. And then when I, I can remember praying after this event in the summer where I, I just felt like I had to come back to the Lord and say, God, I blew it. All these people are gone. I knew not to let you know, the Christians come in and spread all their stuff. And because uh, they didn't just leave, you know, they came in and said, this church is not very loving people. They're a bunch of new believers, you know, of course not. They they haven't learned, you know, but all this just wet blanket came over them. And I remember going back to the Lord and saying, God, I, I compromise. You told me, you know, just because I did. I feel I felt it was the Lord saying, just do what Paul did. Plant with non-Christians. Use your team, but plant with non-Christians. Dang you. Can you hear that? Of course. Oh, wait. You know what? There's a button. Watch this. Ha <laughs> ha. It was what, on my screen. Not on that's my what phone. I told you to do last time. Thanks for paying attention. Yeah, no problem. Hey, I'm a little slow on the uptake. This is, after all, you know, my top mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number four is not listening to Pete. 
Oh, that should have been number one. You know, I won't say I won't invoke the words, but I'm just saying. So anyways, um, so all that to say, um, I, you know, I, I went to the Lord very troubled and knew I'd compromised what I knew in my heart to be true. And I just felt the Lord just give me insight. Like, what are you doing with all these believers when they get saved? You're discipling them. That takes time. I'm not going to keep, you know, giving you tons of non-believers faster than you can mm. can disciple them because that becomes the problem in the that, New Testament. That is, wow. That's actually a really profound thought because everyone is so obsessed with, uh, you know, growing a big church. You hear yeah. about, you know, this guy over here, his first weekend, he has 700 people show up and, you know, it stays at that level and all this other but what you just said is actually a really profound thought. You know, what are you going to do with all those people? How are you going to disciple them? Well, and that that's kind of like the the whole deal of why I'm not a big fan of the big launch. Because for me, I'd rather start small and disciple those people and then make those people into disciplers. So the, the other day, I, I, I noticed Ruben has... Um, posted on Facebook, all these, ba- I, he didn't tell me he's doing a baptism. And I'm like, this is awesome. There's all these people getting baptized. I don't even know who these people are, but I poured into that dude for a few years. And I'm, it's not, now understand me. It's not me standing back going, I poured into him. It's, it's, you know, like I'm crediting myself. But what I'm saying is when you disciple people, it, it goes on without you. They don't need you anymore. And that's what you want. It's kind of like Moses going, would to the Lord that all his people were prophets. You know, he wants everyone to do what he does. And uh, discipleship does that. It, it actually makes, it, it makes all of the non-believers in your midst that become believers, it makes them into missionaries. And that's what discipleship for me anyways is all about. Hmm. Cool. I dig it. What's our, yeah. uh, what's our last one? Our last mistake, the biggest church planning mistake. I gotta think about that for a second. Don't oh, even Pete, say it. Let's, was, let's it was, have you chuck. What do you think is a big mistake we've made? You know, I I don't even know that that's a fair question for me because <laughs> um, I can't I can't honestly say that I look at anything as a big mistake. I mean, I see minor mistakes, I see stupid mistakes, but. I don't see big mistakes. Oh, you know, all right, here's here's the biggest one I would say. I have one, but Oh, do you? Well, I'm going to But I want to hear what you. You started me down this path, answer. so I'm spitting mine out. I would say the biggest mistake we have is uh, or have had is our website. And uh, the reason why I say that is it is the first place that people go to check out your church. Everyone yep. thinks it's them showing up. It's not. They've already been to your website. They've already kind of looked, you know, is the church going to be cool? Is this church going to be weird? Am I going back into, you know, uh, the the church I grew up at, which I hated? I mean, they're checking out your website. And so our church, for the longest time, had a one-page website. Like, it was just stupid. And no one was taking over it, so I said, oh, okay, I'll take over it. And I took over it, redid it, and like as soon as I did it, the guy who was supposed to do it like got all bent out of shape because someone else did it, and he took it over and redid it again. And now 
it sits there dormant and no one does anything to it. And I would say that's a mistake that we make because that is the first way that we interact with the community. And it's just, it's not doing what it needs to do, which is represent the church. Absolutely. I agree with you, man. I actually think that uh, we, we need our website to be better. Yeah. So I would say that's, that's, but I mean, again, to me, it's a minor thing. I mean, it's a major in the sense that I think it has a big impact. But it's not like it's held our church back from doing what yeah. it does. It's one it's one of many frustrations you have when you're church planning and you don't have the money to like soup it up or you don't even have the people who know how to soup it up, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's right. Your your situation, I remember you came in and you mixed some stuff around and uh, it was kind of cool because you kind of kept it looking ghetto. And I think some of our, um, some of our people, uh, you know, um, with with the neighborhood we're in, it if we made it like, you know, like so many churches do, where it's all bright, it's all this and that, it it wouldn't it wouldn't fit the neighborhood. We're well, in. I remember I too. Was. One of the big things was we had personality coming through on the one that I did. Yeah, and that really bent you know who out of shape, and so he totally took it off. Even though you and Charlie, who were our pastors, were like, no, that's what we want. Yeah, but you know. Yeah. He he didn't want that, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, whole whole another story there. <laughs> that's that's and, why uh, I'm being somewhat cryptic about it. But you know, I mean, that's that was a mistake. The mistake is trying to look like every other church out there. Like absolutely. you don't want your website to look like everyone else's. You nope. want to have your personality. And if you guys are you know somewhat crazy, then be somewhat crazy. Don't don't be stupid crazy. You know, but be yourselves, have personality. You want that coming through. And one of the things that I, you know, we're, we're actually going to do a flashback here. One of the things that Michael Cheshire, 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 one of the things that he said in one of his books, I don't remember which one it was, because he was talking about the fact that your website is the first thing that people check out. He says, you've got to have sermons on there. Even if you haven't launched yet, he goes, you need to record yourself giving a sermon because everyone is going to listen to it to see, do I want to actually attend this church? And basically this what he's saying suck. is, yeah, exactly. What he's saying is you need to have your personality coming through. And I think that's what they did on theirs. They even had, you know, he had people in the background doing their laugh and clapping and stuff, you know, like you would a normal sermon just yeah. because he, he needed to, ha- he knew the importance that the website had. Absolutely. And you know, I, if I look back, you know, my, my last point, my fifth point, if I look back and say, what was my biggest mistake in church planning? The one that will probably always haunt me is handing over, uh, churches, Hmm. um, particularly my first church. And, um, I just, you know, I look back and the guy who took the church is a great guy and he is a powerful evangelist and he is very good with youth. But as I look back on, on how I was my first time, how I handed it over, it was a team ministry. Um, I look back and I think I could have done that a lot better. Mm. And I did it where I overlapped and served with him for nine months, but he was an American and this was a Welsh church. And I remember telling him, if you bring American ideas into this, it will break the church. And as I look back, I really feel like I should have 
um, kind of guided him and led him a little bit more into the reason why we did things. And, you know, I was moving back and, and, and we served together and we'd meet weekly. And I did a lot of stuff right during that. But I think that I could have made the transition, which lasted nine months. I could, it wasn't a time thing. It was a way I did it. And as I look back, I think I could have done this, that, and the other, um, which would have made it a lot better. One of the things I did do, which was good, was I said, hey, any changes you want to make, make them now while I'm here. And I will do them and people will accept them because they're me. And, you know, that, that was, I mean, I, I had a church. It's weird, man. Refuge Long Beach is this way too. Where if I tell them we're going to meet in a gas station, they'd be excited about it. You know, um, it's just kind of funny. Like they, they, they'll follow me anywhere. Like if I go off a cliff, they'll probably jump right behind me. And so, um, but same with that church. Speak for yourself, white boy. (laughs) But no, I mean, even you, you're like, yeah, gas stations is great. And that's what I love about Long Beach is they're, they've been so tempered and just refined into missionaries that they're, they're willing to do anything. If they know, hey, there's lost people on the other side, you're going to get saved. And we're not, it's not like a total like evangelistic crusade every week. I mean, it really isn't. But, um, but, but I love that about the church. But so I'd kind of done that. But um, yeah, I, I think right now, if you, if you watch how I'm handing over Long Beach, I'm going slow. I'm not in a rush. We're handing it over very slowly. And we don't even have the guy yet that we feel like this is the guy to lead it. Um, Chris Langham, who's there, if you've ever seen the app online, Through the Word, um, it's an amazing uh, app that you just go through uh, every chapter of the Bible um, for seven minutes a day, right? So if you want a real expositional seven-minute chapter summary um, done by an excellent teacher, Chris Langham does the lion's share of them. He is one of the best teachers I've ever heard. And he's on there, and um, he's like, hey, man, I, I run through the Word. I, I don't have time to really carry the church you know, or lead the team because we're all team leadership. If you read Church Zero, cha-ching, uh, we're, we're, we're team leadership. So uh, we don't even have the guy. You know, I'm not in a hurry. You know, for now, it's kind of like, all right, you know, the Lord will bring the guy. Um, for me personally, if he's a black guy, that's even better. You know, because we, we 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 have our Hispanic guy, we got our white guy, and uh, we we would just about look like the community we're in if we had a black leader. But um, but you know, we're just waiting. We're just waiting to see who the guy is that the Lord has, who will come up. And that's that's I'm cool. I'm not in a hurry. I think the first time I handed it off, I wanted to make sure everything was stitched up and perfect, and I probably you know, uh, tried to force too much to go a certain way. And, um, it, it set up the guy who took it and the church for a little bit more friction than, than they probably should have had. And, and so that'll always bother me. That'll always, always bother me. But like I said, if you don't fail, you don't learn. And it wasn't a complete failure. That church is still going strong, still seeing people saved, seeing young people saved. It's just that uh, what what actually happened is most of my original team um, actually went off and planted elsewhere. So it, it wasn't a nasty thing. It was very cordial. But 
you know, I, I, in my, my heart of hearts, I kind of would have liked to see them all, uh, stay together. But to be honest, they, they went out and they've planted other churches and I'm cool with that actually. Hmm. But, uh, but I learned, I learned, I felt I made some crucial mistakes, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And I know that you, you make mistakes. You make plenty of them. (laughs) I mean, it's hard to narrow it down to five feet. (laughs) Of course. And see, I just don't consider any of my mistakes, mistakes. But you know, that, that's something that, um, I think in a future, maybe in a jump school, wouldn't that be a hot, you know, topic? Cause you know, we're already talking about jump school year two because we've got jump jump school year one, which is the year running up to your launch. It is essential uh, church planner training. You really do need it. It, it goes in depth. And um, but but the 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 second year that would be a great uh, topic to hit is you know how to hand off a church. If you're a ninja planner, if you're the guy who moves on, how to hand it over and hand it off successfully to a team because I feel now through making those mistakes, I've learned a lot and I've got a lot to share on that. So that's how you learn. I dig it, man. I dig it. Yeah. Any, any final thoughts about my failures? No, I think, uh, I think there's just a lot to take away from it that, um, you know, a lot of things that, that people need to take into consideration, everything from, uh, you know, calling the neighbor churches to making sure your website's up. I mean, these are all mistakes that people are going to make, but maybe now they don't have to, you know? Yeah. Don't hold gold parties and don't take Christians in to fatten your numbers. Don't be a whore for numbers. That's bad. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, Hey, you know, guys, thanks for uh, joining us today. And um, don't forget if you have failed, um, the only failure, as one of my favorite quotes is, the only failure is the guy who didn't cash in on the experience. If you failed, fail forward, fail big, fail with grace and style, but cash in on it. And uh, the Lord will continue to use you and he'll let you fail sometimes. Because quite frankly, that's the only way we learn. Um, I'll tell one little story before we get off really quickly. Um, there was a church planner that I worked with years ago who was um, like a little brother to me, and I discipled him for about eight years. And there was kind of that, you know, um, I don't want to go to uh, Tashi Station and pick up power converters. I want to go off and run off half-cocked and take Darth Vader. And uh, what ended up happening was I um, I let him I let him plant because – as much as I held him back, as much as I felt he wasn't ready, he didn't know he wasn't ready. And he, um, he, I, I actually felt in praying almost like the Lord is like, let him fail, let him fail, let him, let him go do it. That way you're out of the picture. It's not you failing him. He will need to know why. And he will only learn why he wasn't ready as he goes and fails. That was hard for me, man. That was really, really, really hard for me because in my heart of hearts, I had given him instruction saying, these are the things I would do. And by the way, the, one of the mistakes that guys often make, and this is what I've seen chew guys up more than anything else, and we've talked about this, is marrying your finances to the church's finances. Mm. The wife works and you think you make a living from the church. And that's not going to work in church planning. I'm just letting you know, it's not going to work. 
And uh, so he failed. And you know what? He, he learned, and it was painful, and it was tough. But sometimes that is the only way that you learn. And so don't be afraid of failure, guys. Um, just cash in on it and keep moving forward. Well, thanks for joining us today for the Church Planner Podcast. This has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell reminding you, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music